0: over. Who doesn't love a good comeback, right? That's fun. The Royals one was probably more fun for others than the KU one, but uh, comebacks are awesome, right? Everyone loves it. It helped the Royals propel them in 2014 to the seventh game of the World Series. They didn't make it, but the next year they won it all. KU, biggest comeback in history of the NCAA championship game. It Comebacks are not easy, but they're not solely centered around sports. We talk about sports comebacks a ton, right? But um, here's a couple other just, just for, um, for you. There's a struggling mom who was a single mother. She was on welfare, and she wrote this manuscript. She thought it was pretty good. Twelve people, twelve publishers rejected her and said, no, it's not good enough. Finally, the, the last one, the 13th one, said, we'll give it a go. We'll print a few. Don't hold your breath. And literally, they said, don't quit your day job because we don't. The, the chances of this succeeding are pretty thin, right? 450 million books later, J.K. Rowling had what she thought was a pretty good manuscript, right? So, and then there was a few movies about that and... And just, she just kept writing. There's another guy um, that had a good comeback, former lawyer turned insurance guy who lost his job as an insurance salesman, ended up, started a ferry boat business, and did really well, uh, but he made some poor business decisions. He invested poorly, and that fell apart for him. So he we thought, well, I'll get, the, I'll get in the restaurant and hotel business. Everybody likes to eat, right? So he jumped into that, and World War II happened, shut him down. He, they, he lost all his, his uh, investment there. After the war, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it again. Restaurants only this time. And he had the, what he thought was a special recipe for really good food, and uh, it was turned down literally over 1,000 times. But the 1,010th time, someone said, well, give it a shot. And Harlan David Sanders, a.k.a. Colonel Sanders, came back from, no, from failing over and over again to start one of the most successful restaurants in U.S. history. Comebacks are fun, aren't they? If you're not a part of them. Because there's no comeback without a setback, right? KU did all they could in the first half to get down by 15 points. They did their part, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know... Colonel Sanders, he, had, he made poor decisions, and it happens. But staying with it, the comebacks, they all have some kind of adversity and setbacks that are involved. And today, we're celebrating the ultimate comeback in the history of the world ever. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the most significant event in the history of mankind. Okay, think about that. A lot of cool things have happened. None more important, none more pivotal, none more significant than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's been proven. It was, it was talked about in Scripture. And um, Joseph of Arimathea took him down. That's where we left on Friday night. Joseph of Arimathea came and he laid Jesus in a grave. And it was important at that time they didn't bury people that weren't dead. So he was dead. And that's a big argument, right? There's a big argument, well, he wasn't really dead. He maybe was passed out, whatever, but he was dead. They, they wouldn't bury someone just because they were really injured and knew that they would end up dead. That wasn't the case. Jesus died there on that cross. And Joseph and, and his friends wrapped Jesus' body in these clothes, uh, linen uh, grave clothes. And they put spices all around him. Why? Because dead bodies don't smell good after a while, and they knew that he was dead. They rolled this massive rock in front of the tomb. They sealed it up, and they walked away, and they left Jesus inside because they knew that he wasn't leaving. But three days later, early on a Sunday morning, the body of Jesus was laying still and lifeless on that rock slab that they laid him on. And at one moment, he was dead, no air in his lungs, no life in his body. And then in another moment, air filled his lungs. His, his chest began to go up and down. You can just envision it, how, how, you know, when you wake up from a real deep sleep or whatever. But he was dead completely lifeless for three days. And he starts to move around a little bit. Remember, they had the grave clothes wrapped around him. He was, he was in there kind of tight, but he, he finally gets his arms free, and he takes the cloth off of his face, and he puts it over here. And he wiggles out of the grave clothes and puts them over here. And he stands up, probably get his bearings a little bit, right? And he walked out of that grave alive. And that's why we're here today, the ultimate comeback story ever. That same morning, Jesus' friends, the Marys, right? Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, uh, probably three or four other Marys. Mary was a popular name, evidently. And they were coming to the grave. Uh, The Sabbath had passed, and it was time. They were going to restock the preservation supplies around Jesus' body and try and preserve it as long as possible. And when they got there, they found no body. There, were, The tomb was open. Jesus' body was gone. And so what did they do? They ran back. The women ran back to where the disciples were staying, probably in seclusion, probably had the door locked, because they were still kind of jittery. They didn't know what was really going on. They didn't know the significance of Jesus' death just yet. And they told him, listen, you're... Uh, The the Lord is gone. They've taken his body. He's gone somewhere. And so that brings us to our scripture today. In John chapter 20, if you want to take out your Bibles, if you have one, maybe your electronic device, however you receive the word. um, We'll be in John chapter 20 today. And John is writing this. John refers to himself in his account as the disciple who Jesus loved or he calls himself the other disciple. And so as we're reading through this, he never says, I did this, or John did this. He doesn't ever talk in the third person. He just refers to himself as the other disciple or the one who Jesus loved. And so when you hear that in this passage today, that's who he's talking about. He's talking about himself, because he's the one that's writing it today. So this is how the account unfolded. Early, this is uh, starting in chapter 20, verse 1. He bent over and looked into the strips of linen lying there and did not go in. When Simon Peter came along behind him, he went straight in the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, just as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus was to rise, had to rise from the dead, but then the disciples went back where they were staying. So this is the word of the Lord today. The account of nobody. There was nobody. First of all, just a couple of details, because that passage is full of very particular details that John writes. Okay. First of all, how many times does John have to point out how slow Peter is? The other disciple ran faster. They were both running, but the other disciple was faster. Peter was a slowpoke. That's what he wants to say. Uh, Maybe that's in the message. I don't know. But uh, a couple of other specific details other than Peter not running fast. And we shouldn't make fun of people who don't run fast, okay? That's me. I grew up not running fast, okay? Maybe I was Peter. I don't know. Maybe John just worked out a lot more. Who knows? They're, the details, they, they don't get covered necessarily in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, this, this story in particular is shared in all four. That doesn't happen in all of the incidents and the events of Jesus' life. But in this, uh, in this particular time, the resurrection, they all show up in all four accounts. But John tells it a little differently. He includes different things. He gives us this great word picture. I mean, even if he had a, an iPhone at the time and could take a picture, I don't think it could be, be said as well as, as what he did, that he ran. He didn't go all the way in. He saw the linens there. The claw, One cloth was here. The linen clothes were over here. And he gives them, he gives them these very minute details that, that, that tell us one thing for sure that that was an eyewitness account, that John saw it with their, his own eyes, and he wrote it down for all of us to be able to remember through his eyes. Because, listen, he writes the book of John. John will write this like 55 years later, after the resurrection. All of this had happened long before. I mean, how many of you are over the age of 50? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Can you remember back that, that those details, right? It's not easy. I can't sometimes remember what I had for breakfast, right? And, I mean, if it comes to sports and things that we were involved in with kids, we obviously remember all those details, right? We don't ever forget those very things. But John, 55, 50, 55 years later, he remembers the facial cloth was on this side. The linen clothes were on this side. That's how deep of an imprint that made on his heart. And then, you know, other specific details. Uh, even before, in verse 5, John, he bends over. He gets all the way to the tomb, and he won't go in, but he looks down in there. He's looking around, and he sees, he sees what's going on. There's enough light in there to see where Jesus was laid. And, and he saw everything. He's just apprehensive to go in and get involved And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Then there's Peter, the slow guy. Finally shows up, right? He bursts in, probably shoves John out of the way, and he runs right down into the tomb. He goes right in there. And uh, he was just a little more robust, wanted to check things out in the empty grave to see if what Mary had told him was true. In typical Peter behavior, if you know anything about Peter, that's how he lived his life. He was just... Kind of off the cuff, very spontaneous. But why? Why was Peter and John so astonished by the tomb being empty? Why, why would they think that, right? Jesus said, hey, this is going to happen, and I'm going to return. I'll be back. Why didn't Peter and John, and the other followers for that matter, not immediately think when they, when they noticed that the, the tomb was empty, regardless of how it happened, that Jesus had risen, why was that not something that came first out of their, out of their minds? I'll tell you why. Because in those days, and really now, if somebody died, they stayed dead. It's the way it worked, right? Dead people stayed dead. Now, Lazarus, he came out of the grave. We sang about that today. But Jesus called him, right? What if... When Jesus did that miracle, this has nothing to do. What if Jesus would have just said, come out? You think everybody in that grave would have came out? I think so. That's how powerful Jesus is. But he said, Lazarus, come out. It was a good thing he only said Lazarus. But dead people stayed dead. That was the common trend in those times and today. And they thought, well, if Jesus is going to come out of the tomb, if they would have believed that, if they would have known what would they have done, right? They would have been there. They would have been standing outside of the tomb waiting, maybe had a sign, right? Go, Jesus, right? Happy Easter, um, whatever. Maybe they, they would have had another parade like they did a week before, okay? If they knew it was going to happen, they would have maybe had a countdown on their phone waiting, okay, it's three days is a long time, but we're going to make it. Maybe they would have told the Jerusalem Times, hey, get a reporter down to the grave. This is going to happen. This is what time. If they believed it was going to happen, they would have had a countdown. Ten. Nine. Eight. Cue the sunrise. Here we go. Light it up. Seven. Ready the lightning in the earthquake. The the grave's going to open. Four. Three. No. They weren't there. They were hiding in a room. Obviously didn't think that Jesus was coming back, even though he said he was coming back. Because here's what happens um, when somebody died, they thought that he would stay dead. They, nobody was expecting nobody. All right? That's Andy Stanley puts it that way a lot. Nobody was expecting nobody that day. And Jesus, he predicts his own death. He says, This is gonna happen. The Son of Man. Must be put down. To, and and the, the purpose for Jesus' coming, he, he, he predicts his own death. He uh, predicts the resurrection. He says, I'm coming back. And then, then he pulled it off. It happened, just like he said. That right there is, is easily enough for us to believe that Jesus is the son of God. Because if you can predict your own death and you, you sit, predict your own resurrection and you pull it off, that's something to be talked about. But this event, the story of Jesus, it, it was put into place. The purpose for him coming to earth was for a much bigger purpose than religion. Okay, and Now, we're all a part of, of a religion. If you're here today, most likely you engage in religion somehow. Okay, It's kind of innate in us. Easter, it's an easy time to come and celebrate the resurrection. But Jesus did not come to earth to establish religion. That was not the purpose. see, the Pharisees, the high priests, the religious leaders of the time, they thought that it was all about religion. That's all they knew. They knew that a relationship with God was wrapped up in, um, in in a life of faith, was wrapped up in a list of rules. And all these structures that were put into place. Now, God gave Moses how many commandments? Ten, right? And then man took over from there and added 600 plus more rules. All these structures and formats that needed to happen in order to live in this right relationship with God. That's what they felt was important. And so that's why they put so much stock in religion, Religion was a man made thing. Jesus came to make a difference. His purpose was to die for the sins of the world. That has nothing to do with religion, right? And establishing the religion, it was not the purpose at all. Jesus came to be the perfect sacrifice that was necessary to pay for all the sins of the entire world, to be the king of kings, to defeat sin and death and hell. And make it possible for all of us to be with God for eternity in heaven. That is the purpose for Jesus coming today to this earth. And it was accomplished by one thing. He died. But then what did he do? He walked out of that grave. That's how it was accomplished. Because, you know, if religion was the goal, there's a lot of religion, Right? There's lots of different, even in the Christianity, there's all these different denominations. So we divide it up even more. But there's religion everywhere. And you have your choice. You have your choice of different religion, right? <coughs> and, but none of them, no religions, have that one final important piece of the puzzle. How do I know? I know because, what, what is this a picture of? Does anybody know? Kind of hard to see, but... That's the best uh, picture I could find. This is the tomb of Muhammad. And this is not to bag on any other rela- uh, religion that's out there. But this is the tomb of Muhammad. You can go back to the last one. The tomb of Muhammad, he was the founder and the leader of Islam, right? We've, we know about that religion. He lived from seven, uh, 570 A.D., and then he died on 632 A.D., And then when he died, they laid him to rest right here. And you know where he's at? Still there. Okay? What about this picture? This one right here. This is a little older. Anybody know what this one is? This is the tomb of Buddha. Okay? The the founder of Buddhism, the leader of Buddhism. And he lived uh, from 563 B.C., well before Jesus walked the earth. And he died on 483 B.C. And when he died, they laid him to rest right here. And you know where he still is? He's right there, still in the tomb, All right? So you might think, okay, Pastor Paul, here's the thing. Those religious leaders, sometimes they didn't have enough power to support where they were going, and they needed a little more authority. Um, so what about this? What about this next picture? We'll, we'll kind of transition from... Religion to uh, this next picture is, is a picture of King Louis XIV, his tomb. Great king of France, right? He ruled for 72 years. And under his reign, France became a, a European power. And he lived from 1638 A.D. And he died in 1715 A.D. A strong ruler, powerful And when they laid him to rest in this tomb, where is he at now? He's still there. Those tombs are all real. They all represent great people that did great things that meant well for all mankind. And they all died. They all stayed right in that grave. You can find them. They have an address, a physical address, just like you do at your house. And they all represented something very significant, but they're all still there. One more picture for you. You might know what this is? Presumably, and most people agree, that if you go to Israel, if you go to Jerusalem, this is where they laid Jesus in the tomb. And I'm sure there's been all kinds of things uh, built around it and such, but when you go to Israel, you can go in there. And you know what you'll find? nothing. He's not in there anymore. Jesus lived for 33 years. He had no formal authority. He did not conquer any armies. He, he just lived this perfect, sinless life. And he died, and he was buried, and he rose again. So why don't uh, we know exactly, this, this is presumably where they laid Jesus. It probably was. They did some good research, but he isn't there anymore. That's the pivotal piece. And if it was about religion, know that all those people that founded the outlying religions, they're still in the grave. But we we serve a risen God. Amen? Absolutely. That's the message of Easter. That is the purpose of resurrection. And Christ died for our sins. That's what Paul says. Christ died for our sins, and he was buried, and in he rose again on the third day. The grave was defeated, and hell and death for sin, and sin were overcome forever. Jesus' purpose was not to establish religion or to follow a set of specific rules. It was to focus on a relationship, a relationship with your heavenly Father. Jesus spent... The, all of his time in ministry, rearranging the way that people viewed a relationship with God. We've spent the last five, six weeks talking about that very thing and how we can shape our lives to be more like him and what the kingdom of heaven looks like here on earth. And Jesus spent his three years of ministry showing people that it's not the way that you once learned. It's, a, it's all about a relationship and ha- with God and how that relationship with God impacts our relationships with others, with each other. It's a, it was a massive shift from the rules of religion, the structure that bound people up to just fitting in this little box that they had to check. And as long as they did it just right, they were good. And it didn't matter how they treated other people. A life, uh, Jesus came to show a life of relationship with the living God and what that looks like here on earth. So as we start to wrap up a little bit, I just want to touch on one more thing. Our scripture passage today, we read in John chapter 20 and verse 5 and 6 that there's two different approaches that that happened to coming to the grave, right? There's Peter's approach, there's John's approach, right? John, he ran fast to the tomb, faster than Peter, right? We just don't want to forget that part. Right. But when he waited, but then he waited. He got there first. He comes to the door of the tomb, and he didn't go in. I Wonder why? You wonder why? I have no idea. You know, maybe maybe it was just in awe of the moment. Maybe he was scared a little bit of what might happen if he went in. You know, maybe he was just out of breath from the run. That's possible too. We don't know. And then there's Peter. The, the Peter approach was he ran slower than John, okay? But when he got there, he shoved John aside and went barreling right in, didn't he? And he was ready to explore what he had heard. And obviously, because he was not as fast as John, he had time to think about what he would do when he got to the tomb. And he went right in. What do you think that was? I, I mean, I have no idea, you know. Um, that, that, that really was just Peter's personality, off the cuff, spontaneous, dive head first into whatever and, you know, consider the consequences later, right? He's the one to chop the ear off the soldier in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was pretty spontaneous and impulsive. But when it comes to our faith, you and me, our faith in, in Jesus and how we live that out, these two approaches Sum us up pretty well. There's there's two kinds of people here today um, that, that we're talking about in these approaches. One is this: maybe you've had a faith experience in your past. Uh, you maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you uh, you know all the answers. You've read all the Bible stories. You you know the the knowledge part of what's in the Holy Scriptures. Okay, but you walked away for some reason, and. Maybe you, know, maybe you walked away because of religion, right? You, you get caught up in religion, all the legalistic junk that, that follows religion around sometimes, all the judgment that happens sometimes in the middle of religion. Maybe you walked away because of a person that claims to be a Jesus follower. They, they deeply hurt you. They betrayed you. Uh, they failed you in their spiritual leadership, which is Understandable, right? Maybe you walked away simply because you just didn't feel like uh, you could ever be, you know, good enough for, for uh, this relationship with God to what it means to be a Jesus follower, right? So that's one way of, of life right there. That's something that we've possibly all experienced in some way, shape, or form. And then, and then there's, another, there's another group of people. Maybe you're hearing the good news of the gospel for the very first time today. The fact that God the Father sent his son Jesus for God so love the world that he gave his only son and to be a sacrifice for our sins and to die in my place, in my place, and in yours. and to, he, he came to complete this payment for victory over sin and, and Jesus rose from the dead and that is the reason that we're here today. And that's maybe the first time you're hearing that, okay? Regardless regardless of your faith experience, what, regardless of what you've been through and who's been through it with you, okay? Your, your faith exposure could be a lot like John's, right? You're right there, right there on the edge, right? You're just not quite ready, right? You're looking in and seeing what's going on. You're seeing the details unfold in front of you, but you're just not quite ready to to jump in with both feet, to wholeheartedly enter into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're just apprehensive because you think that the life of Jesus can offer, it seems really too good to be true. And you might just be waiting, possibly, for an invitation to go ahead and follow Jesus. Or maybe you're like Peter. Peter. You're gung-ho, right, jumping in. You're running in to the gospel, and you're grabbing people by the shirt and dragging them along with you, right? And and that's good. We need those kind of folk, right? And you're willing to show your excitement about what faith in Jesus is to you. And so the key is, and, and here's the deal, the key is that you go in, that eventually you enter in. John chapter 20, verse 8, right there at the end. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. So think about who's writing this. This is John's account. The disciple who Jesus loved, the fastest disciple out there. And, And he got to the tomb first. He took it all in. And this is how he, if he was just talking to you and me, because he is, I mean, this is for us to read, and he doesn't talk about it in the first person. But this, if it was just a conversation, it would be like this. Finally, I reached the tomb. I beat Peter. I went inside, and I saw, and I believed. And that's what Jesus wants for you today. That's what God is calling us, a, a church full of seekers, to be. You know, Peter and John, they both took off. Mary gave them the news. And they both sprinted. And they both took everything in on their way. Right? They saw that the stone was rolled away when they were approaching. They they both went in to the grave. They saw the grave clothes. Right? The linens. And then they saw the the facial cloth over here that was over Jesus' head. And they believed that Jesus was alive. He saw and he believed. So if you put your faith in people, what's going to happen? If you put your faith in people to be your savior, they will fail you. Guaranteed. Right? If you put your faith in me at some point as your pastor, I'm going to mess it up because I'm not perfect. I guarantee it. Right? They, they, uh, th- those people will fail you. And then they'll die, and they will stay dead. If you witness people that tear, tear down what you think a Jesus follower should act like, because they're out there, right? Know this, that people are imperfect. And when Jesus was here on earth, he did everything he could to change that. He didn't like that fact either. He called them hypocrites, right? Don't act like this. This is not the way the kingdom of heaven really is. So, People will fail you. But if you put your faith in Jesus and the fact that He died for your sins and paid the ultimate price to save us, then you have assurance of a few things. That He's faithful to save you, He's faithful to walk with you, and He's faithful to be with you through all of your trials of life, no matter what they are. And you have that opportunity to do that today. Because maybe you are just waiting for the invitation. And so I want to give that to you. And you can do that right there where you're seating. We're going to pray here in just a second. And then we're going to call people up. We're going to baptize three people. The worship team will come up when we're praying. There's going to be some movement. But here's what I want you to do. I if If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I ask you to consider this. This is your invitation today. That... You've said, well, I've been uh, kind of John-like. I'm just kind of waiting outside, seeing what's going on, letting it play out. And maybe that's not working for you. Maybe you need somebody like Jesus to come alongside with you and walk through these trials of life. Okay? Maybe you're like Peter, and you're like, let's get it. Come on. Let's go. You can do that right now. And it's very simple. All you have to do is pray and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, be my Savior. That's all it takes. Just cry out. You can do that here at the altar. This is a safe place for just you and God to have a conversation. You can do it right where you're seated. But the key is, just like in John chapter 20, verse 8, they both, they go in. The key is that you enter into that relationship. So I just, I'm going to ask you, if you can, to straighten up and, and calm yourself. Be still, and let's pray today. Father, God, it's humbling to stand here in your presence today, knowing the weight of, and the magnitude of this day and the sig- most significant event that's ever happened in your son Jesus raising from the dead. And Father, I just know that there's those here today within the sound of my voice that need you. Maybe they need to come back. Maybe they've had a hard life, but they know exactly what's going on, and they know that you are the one that can fill that void in their life. I just pray that they do that today. I pray that you make the burden on their heart, the Holy Spirit will impress on them such a heaviness that they need that peace, that that's what they do. And they enter in, Although it may be like John, the, the fact is that they that he is he goes in. He saw. He believed, but most importantly, he entered into that relationship, and that's what we want from from you, God, is a relationship with you that we seek you daily, in all that we do. Lord, we're so thankful for this opportunity to gather together with friends and family in this ecclesia, this gathering of like-minded people that believe the same things. that We're so glad that it's not about religion, the things that we can get caught up in that mankind puts in our way. But you've made it so simple for us that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved through faith, by faith, through grace, that you extend to us. Lord, we love you. We're so excited for the impact that you've made on our lives. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Amen? Well, today...